0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. Well, I first of all, I want to let you know that I hope you have your Bibles with you today, either electronically or, or um, in print. We are going to be spending quite a bit of time in the Old Testament. In fact, uh, even now, if you maybe want to find Exodus, which is the second book of Scripture, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, um, probably going to be starting somewhere around 16, and we're going to spend quite a bit of time in the Old Testament this morning and uh, quite a bit of time in Exodus. I always want to encourage you to, um, you know, if if you have a a Bible that you can write in, uh, to do that. Take some notes in, underline some things. I find it very helpful when I'm studying or when I'm meeting with someone. Uh, it's like, oh, yeah, I, re- I don't remember exactly where that was. and I can flip back to my Bible, and then there it is. It's underlined. Uh, and so, uh, of course, after a while, you have so many things on the page underlined, you don't know which one those is. But, um, so I just want to encourage you to do that this morning. You know, as, as we have been here in, in Mark chapters 1 and 2, and we're closing out, as Dick said, chapter 2 this morning. There's, there's kind of this theme that I keep repeating because I think repetition helps us to learn, and and since you only have an hour a week, unless you're studying on your own in, in Mark, which I hope some of you are, um, I think it's important us just kind of remember. So Jesus has started his ministry. He's been baptized by John in the Jordan, right? Uh, he's been kind of out there doing ministry maybe for a year. He starts to call some of his disciples, right? And so uh, James and John and and. Peter, ultimately, Simon, and Andrew, uh, a couple weeks ago, we saw that he calls Matthew the tax collector, right? And so, now, right now, they're, they're just disciples. He hasn't really set them apart and said, you're the apostles. So there's many people probably following Jesus in his teachings at this particular point. And so what have we seen here? Now, think about what the Gospels are, what's the point of the Gospel, the point of the four gospels, and, and there's many things, but is to first and foremost, it's the life of Christ, is to get to know who he is, right? God in the flesh, Emmanuel, which is what we're getting ready to celebrate at Christmas, obviously. And, and this idea that he is, um, in the gospel here, Mark, it's, it's very condensed, it's very packed with purpose, it's telling us who Jesus is, but quickly, it, it, in chapter one even, it starts talking about why he came. He came to teach. He came to share the truth about why he was here, right? And, and the first thing before anybody will listen to anyone, right, there has to be a level of integrity. Um, it's, it's one of the things that we talk about all the time when we watch a TV show or a late night thing and there's uh, infomercials, Right. And I know some of you get sucked into that kind of thing. I probably have in my past. But for most of us, we want to know the integrity of something or someone before we give our life away to it, before we spend money on it, right? And I think that's a wise thing. And so here in, in this season here in Jesus' life, when he's is beginning his ministry around chapter age, you know, around year two, I would say, there's a lot of question about who is this guy? Who is he? He's doing some some pretty cool stuff. He, He's, you know, He's been baptized by John in the Jordan, and, and John's kind of said the Lamb of God, and so who is he? And so the first thing that Jesus kind of sets out to do is start is trying to define himself by his authority over things. And so we see that he taught in the temple, and, and what do we see there? And we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. He's really important. I think there's a, God is just laying something out here. He heals and casts out uh, an, an unclean spirit. And then it says he he begins to cast out many demons after that happens in in the evening. Everybody comes there in Capernaum to the house, and he's casting out and healing people. And so quickly we see that he has power over spiritual things, over the spiritual world, over evil. He has power over it. He has power over sickness. He's healing people, right? You say, well, why why is, did Jesus come to heal people? No, he didn't come to heal people, not, not physically, He didn't really ultimately come to cast out demons. That's not why he came. That's not why he was born. He was born so that he could be the sacrifice for our sin, right? For the the atonement for us. But before any of us will kind of say, yes, I agree with that and I trust him, he's establishing, God the Father, I believe, is establishing through this providential life of his why we can trust him. Why we can put our total faith and trust? Why would you send two hundred dollars or write a check for two hundred dollars to international missions? Or why would you buy, you know, gifts for children or all of those things? Because there's an integrity to who Jesus is. And so he goes on there. And what do we see? We get into um, the rest of when well, we move into chapter two here, right? Or at the end of chapter one, I guess he heals a leper. That's, a, that's an incredible thing that's taking place there. We talked about that. The leper wasn't even supposed to come to him. And Jesus was breaking the, the, the ritualistic law of even touching him, right? And yet, what do we see? Jesus heals him. In fact, the leper knows it. He says, I know you're will, or able. Are you willing? And Jesus says, I am. And he reaches out and he touches him and he heals him. Did he heal all the lepers? No. No, leprosy still exists. It didn't heal everybody. Once again, he was establishing that, that he could go to the ends of, of death almost because a leper was like a dead person walking, and he could restore them. He had power even over the worst of illnesses and disease. And then what do we see? We see that he, they lower a... Brian spoke a few weeks ago. But he lowers this young this man. Uh, his friends lower him down, and he's, he's a paraplegic or he's crippled, and, and he can't walk. And Jesus heals him but what was the big moment there he says your sins are forgiven that was the point of the text not that he i mean we always say oh the, the faith of the yes the faith of the people What was good his friends the fact that he was healed he could walk praise god for that but the the big thing in the text that the most important idea in the text the truth that lies there is that jesus says i can forgive your sins that was the earth-shattering thing there that was said. And so we once again see that he heals because now he's beginning to unveil who he is and he's building integrity and saying, no, I have this power. I'm not just saying these things. I have the power to stand behind the, the authority that I tell you that I have. And then we go into the rest of chapter 2 and he calls Matthew. Matthew. And what did we say there? Not only does he heal, cast out demons and heal the sick and heal lepers and and forgive sins, but now he says, I can go to those that have moved away from me and have turned their back on me and actually have turned their back on their people, and I can soften and change the hardest of hearts, which is Matthew. Tax collector, the worst of the worst, according to the Jews. And not only that, what does he demonstrate there? That he hangs out with sinners and tax collectors. You know, we're going to say it next week. You know, He comes as a baby in a manger to shepherds, not under royalty. And this whole theme of his life is just continuing to, to, to play out. And he comes to people that are hurting in need of a Savior. He doesn't come for the self-righteous because they don't want to believe. And so what are we going to see? Then last week, Brian talks about that. The Pharisees now are like riled up, right? They're just kind of beside themselves. He is doing things that they just can't get their mind around. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's healing leopards. He's saying he can forgive sins. Uh, he's eating with tax collectors. We gotta stop this guy. And so they're grasping at anything they can. And so when he is saying, Well, well the Pharisees said last week, "So why, why don't you fast?" Well, why aren't your disciples, John's disciples are fasting? Jesus, why aren't your disciples fasting? Why do you do that? That's, you know, it's not right. And Jesus says, well, you don't fast when the bridegroom is here. Like, you, the, the, this is a time of celebration. What was Jesus doing right there? He was saying, I'm God. <laughs> I mean, that's the big point there, right? He, he's not saying well, I'm just some guy that is going to marry. I'm, no, I'm the bridegroom of the church. I am the Savior. I am the one that's going to come and marry the church. It's me. And to, and we're not going to fast right now. We're going to celebrate right now. In fact, if you read and and study some of the traditions of the of the Jewish culture and the church, even in that time, you know, as Brian so well pointed out last week, that the the, the celebration of the the wedding was like a week long, right? Sometimes I think a couple hours at some of your weddings is too long. But anyway, not the wedding part, but, the, you know, because I don't dance. I don't do any of that kind of thing. But the food is really good. Um, and Brian talked about that too. But it's like a week-long celebration. In fact, what the rabbis would tell you is that they're so, you know, and we're like this too today. The rabbis would say, oh, you know what? During the week-long celebration, we can forgo some of the law. We can forget those things because this is more important. So they were already doing it. They were living that way. So when Jesus comes and says, no, we don't fast because I'm here, he's just doing what they're doing. He's just implementing the same thing. He says, no, I'm, this is who I am, and so let's celebrate. And he's basically saying that this picture of this marriage, which is now going to be Christ in the church someday, is more important than religious rituals. We've got to be careful there because there's things that we do need to obey. And the law, and, and, and you know, I know Brian talked about this, and, and some, he had some questions about this. Brian wasn't saying that the law is done away with. The law has been fulfilled by Jesus, and we should still honor it and obey it, and it honors God. But we're not saved by it any longer. We're not, that's not what saves us. Christ saves us. As Hebrews tells us, Right? he is our perfect sacrificial lamb, our great high priest. So this morning in the text, Jesus is once again going to proclaim his authority. He has authority over all these other things, right? This time, he's going to claim his authority over the Sabbath. Now, this is a big deal. I know many of us read these and like, okay, well, okay, good, that's great. Let's move on. Let's find something. But this is a big deal. God established the Sabbath. Now, the Jews added lots of stuff to it, Right? Don't we love doing that? We, we get something that God gives us, and then we just complicate the heck out of it, right? We just make more of it, and, and we get legalistic, and that's what the Jews did. They put all sorts of... They, they, I'm sure they thought they were trying to help. God puts this down, and then they just have to have an answer for everything. And, and it was just crazy what you could do and what you couldn't do on the Sabbath. You couldn't tie a knot, okay? You couldn't stitch something except for one stitch, but you couldn't have more than one stitch right? I mean, it, and I could go on and on. I could give you a list of things that, that the rabbis said you can do and you can't do. You could only walk like, I think it was 800 meters or I forget how many feet, almost 3,000 feet. And after that, you couldn't, you couldn't walk any farther. And it was just, I mean, it was just mind-boggling, right? Just mind-boggling. So let's, let's, what do you, so what's the, our big idea? What's, what I want to kind of get across to you this morning? Jesus reveals his authority over the Sabbath. That's really the point of the text this morning. Jesus is going to reveal, you could say demonstrate, but really he just is revealing it because he's not going to do anything per se. There's no no miracle here that's going to happen. He's just telling them who he is and that he has authority. So he's revealing this authority over the Sabbath. And so for us to, to really help us understand this, we're going to spend a lot of time, a lot of time in the Old Testament, and so it's going to be a little different message today. So bear with me, and uh, I hope, like I said, I hope you have your Bibles with you. So let's first dive into chapter two of Mark twenty-three and twenty-four. It says one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain, and the Pharisees were saying to him, "Look, why are they doing what they're not lawful on the Sabbath?" Right. So the first thing you want to look at is, and I would encourage you always in your Bible, to be highlighting what we're talking about. So I would underline Sabbath. the, The context here is about the Sabbath, right? Who's there? Well, the disciples are there. We don't know who all is there. It's just his disciples, the followers of Jesus. The Pharisees are there. I would underline that. So, okay, so now we're talking about the Pharisees are there. Jesus is there. The disciples are there. There's a conversation about the Sabbath. They're obviously walking through some type of grain field. And the issue here is, is that they're not happy because the Pharisees think that there's something going on that the disciples are breaking the rules of the Sabbath. Now you say, well, where is this taking place? We don't know. It's probably They're probably still around Capernaum because here in chapter 3, I think, it's going to say they're back in Capernaum. So they could be just walking on the Sabbath one afternoon. They could be going. Maybe he's taking them out to teach because remember, Jesus couldn't be in the town because he would get mobbed by people a lot of times. So it's very possible that he's walking the disciples and the Pharisees are wanting to come along and say, well, we need to keep an eye on this guy, right? And so they're coming along as well. And so he's walking and they're probably not on a main road. There was only a few main roads. And so when you get off and you start walking through, there was paths and different things and, and there was you know, grain and barley and different things growing. And, and so we think it was probably in the fall when, when these things are producing. So let's talk about the Sabbath a little bit though. Then I will tell you that today we're going to, there may be some disagreements on some different things about how people feel about the Sabbath, our observance of the Sabbath, and and we'll kind of end with that a little bit. But where does the Sabbath originate? Is today the Sabbath? No. It's on Saturday, right? So then the question is does, does the church observe the Sabbath and should we observe the Sabbath? And we're not, that's not really what the message is about. We'll touch on that a little bit. But let's go back to where it originates, right? Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Right? So if you want to turn back, I know I told you, put your finger there in Exodus 16, but let's flip to Genesis 2, beginning of the chapter there. Here God is created in chapter 1, the first six days. He's made everything, and it's, there's been evening and morning, the first day. And, and it is good. Everything that he has made is good, right? And that leads us to chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Thus, like six days, an amazing six days. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and the host of them, right? And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So a couple things I would encourage you is, when own word is repeated multiple times, uh, many times it's worth underlining, right, or it's noting. So he rested on the seventh day, right? And then it says, he rested from all the work he had done. So obviously there's a, a point of rest here. And so does God need to rest from all the work he's done? Was he just wore out? No, no. That's not, that's not the point of the text. The point of the text is that God is established and that he is the creator and everything that he did was good and now he can rest. He can rest from his labors, his work, and all that was good. But what God is really doing is, is building a, a pattern for us, right? Think about... <laughs> A seven-day week, right? I mean, think of creation, the moon, the orbit of everything. It fits. Day seven, God, or day one through seven, he's establishing this creative order, right? And it's a cycle for us. Man, I don't know about you, but I like rest. I think it's important for us. And God is establishing that we need to rest. He is saying that we we're going to work. He's already given work, right? He's going to give work in, in chapter two or chapter three or to, to Adam. He says, that work is good. We're going to take care of the garden. We're going to tend it, right? And that work is good. But rest is also good, and it's important that we rest. And so he's defining that. How many of you guys like the weekend? Where do you think the kind of the beginnings of the weekend kind of came from? God. He said, there's going to be a day of rest. Aren't you glad that God didn't say he worked seven days and you will too, right? And if you're in Europe, you only have to work three or four a lot of times, right? They've taken it to, a, to an extreme. Now, just think about the reality, the truth of that. I mean, I know we think about why should I trust God? Why should, maybe, maybe this morning you're like, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. I mean, this is a creational thing that we see demonstrated through thousands of years, the week, and how we live. It's there. It's the seven-day work cycle, and God establishes it right away in Scripture. All right. Now what do we see? Let's flip to Exodus. Exodus chapter 16, 27 through 29. Let's set this up. So here in Exodus, they've been in bondage for 400 years under Egypt. The Israelites now have been set free from, by God, and they're in the wilderness, and they've traveled. They're a, a few days into the wilderness and they're actually in, in what's called the wilderness of sin. And it's, it was an area. It was before you get to Mount Sinai, right? Because God was taking them to Mount Sinai, right? They've, they've crossed the Red Sea. He split the Red Sea. He's drowned the Egyptians. Uh, they're grumbling because they're not happy, right? Because, and I don't get into all that. They're not happy that, okay, we had food, we had meat back there, and, and now you've led us out here. Moses, God has led us out here to, to die of hunger, right? So what does God begin to do here. He feeds them. I'm not going to get into all this for time's sake, but in Exodus 16, 27 through 29. Now, it says, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather. What did he do? It says, but they found none. Right? The Lord said, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments? So what he's done here, I want to back up a little bit. He's given manna on the ground. Every morning, there's this very granular... Uh, flower-like substance that covers the ground. Once the sun comes out, it dissipates, it disappears. And he's told them to gather every day uh, an omer for yourself. An omer was like two quarts. For every person, you could get two quarts. And it was a very sweet, kind of honey-flavored type thing, and you would make things out of it, and they could eat it. Well, you know, if one omer is good, two omers is good, right? And so they weren't supposed to take any more than what they were told. Why? Because God says, trust me. But trust me. I, look, I'm putting this on the ground for you every morning. You can't trust me? <laughs> like, isn't that a miracle? I mean, I, I think about that sometimes in my own walk. I just got to tell you. I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and, and I'm like, there's things I don't do that I should do, or maybe sin that I, you know, I, I end up in, or I end up in I make decisions for, or whatever. Um, and yet I And I want to point to other people and say, well, why can't they do it this way? And I know the reality of God. I know the goodness of God. I know his majesty. And I still don't do what I'm supposed to do. Right? And so I don't want to say that these people are any different than we are today. We struggle, even though we know the truth, the beautiful truth, we still struggle to do what we're called to do. And so what he tells them is on the sixth day, you can gather two omers. So you can have it for the the seventh day. Now, the Sabbath hasn't been established yet. Yes, it's been established in Genesis, but the law had not been given. The Ten Commandments hadn't been given. The Fourth Commandment had not been spoken by God yet. They're not even at Sinai yet. But God is beginning to show them and reveal this truth based on creation that he can be trusted and that there's a day that they need to rest. And this was on the seventh day that people went out to gather, but they found none. Because they went out on the seventh day, and God says, there's not going to be any out there on the seventh day. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. The Sabbath was given to them. That's going to be important later as we study. The Sabbath was given to them, to the people of Israel. And I think there's many reasons here. One of the things that the Sabbath and ultimately later with Abraham's circumcision were given to the Jews. Why? Many reasons, to rest and to honor God and to to set a time aside, but it was to set them apart from everybody else. It was to make them different than, than the Canaanites, than the Egyptians, than anybody else. It set them apart. It showed that they could trust in their God. And then we get to Exodus 20. Just flip a page or two over. Exodus 20, 8 through 11. Here we see the fourth commandment. I'm not going to go through all of those, but it's the longest, at least of the text, of the commandments, right? Verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day keep it, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall do, uh, not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant your livestock or the sojourner which is the people that pass through that aren't jews who is within your gates part of the community for for in 6 days the lord made the heaven and the earth the sea and all that is in them and rested on the 7th day therefore the lord blessed the sabbath day and made it holy so once again here we see that the Lord is rooting it in creation. He says for six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that was in them and rested on the seventh day. So he's setting this, this pattern for them and saying now you're going to rest. He's demonstrated here with the, with the manna and saying you're going to gather it on the day before and the sixth day and you're not going to work on the seventh day. And so here he's beginning to to, to establish this. And so what's the point of these first two texts? And this is going to come into play later as we kind of look back at Matthew. God created the Sabbath for a day of rest. There's no doubt that the, one of the main principal things is that God created the Sabbath as, as, a, as a day of rest for humanity, for mankind, for men and women, and, and really for all of creation, right? Now, why am I, why am I kind of unpacking all this for us? And I just want to tell you this so you don't lose track here. Remember, we're going to go back into Matthew, and what are we going to find out? That Jesus is going to say, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Okay? And, and I have authority over it. Now, I want to, I want to show you how, how detailed God is getting about the Sabbath, and, and the fact that, that Jesus then could later in the New Testament say, but I'm the Lord over it is, is pretty, pretty much a big deal. Let's look at Exodus 23 again, or move to 23, I should say, from 20, verse 10 through 12. Here God is continuing um, to lay out these principles for them, and this is how important the Sabbath was for the Jews. Chapter 23, verse 10 through 12, for six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But the seventh year, you shall, not let, you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyards and with your olive orchard. Six days, or for, uh, excuse me, uh, six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, that the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed." So once again, I'm just reminding. This is a big thing. Like this is a big piece of what he's teaching them at the very outset of their time now out as a wilderness, as they become a people. Right? He's saying you must do this. Right? You must rest. And he's he's building it into even the years of letting the 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 um, the land rest. Right? And and the year of jubilee comes into all this. You know after. 49 years, the 50th year, you can forgive, and there's just rest of debt and all of these things. We don't have time to go into this morning. I encourage you to study it. It's, it's, a, it's just a wonderful piece of how God is working here. All right, Exodus 31. Eight chapters more, move forward. Exodus 31, 12 through 13. 23, yeah. Sorry. So where are we at? <laughs> 31, right? 12 through 20, 12 through th- and 13. We were in 23. All right. Exodus 31, 12 through 13. And the Lord said to Moses, okay, he's not speaking to all of Israel here. He's speaking to Moses, right? You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all you shall keep my Sabbaths, above all. I want you to feel the weight of what the Sabbath is meaning to the Jews here. Above all, because as the Pharisees here in Matthew, or in Mark, are upset, in Matthew and Luke as well, because it's, here's the issue. They're feeling the weight of all of this history, all of this Old Testament law, the Torah, right? And the Lord said to Moses, you are to, excuse me, you shall, the Lord said to, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbath. For it is a sign between you, between me, and, the, and throughout your generations. I think here he's talking to the Jews. Not to all mankind, to the Jews. It's going to be a sign between him and throughout all the generations. That you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. So it is God refining them, teaching them, to obey, to, to check their flesh, to do what he tells them, to trust him, right? They're, they're just not the, the Gentiles or the heathen people that can do whatever they want. God is sanctifying them and refining them and teaching them obedience. He's setting them apart. Stay in 31, go down to verse next verse, 14. He says, and you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. As a covenant forever, it is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Okay, it is just the importance of the Sabbath. Now God has put, this wasn't wasn't the, the, the Pharisees putting people to death. This was God saying, if you don't do this, you will die. I feel the weight of the Sabbath here for, for the Jews. Now, I'm, I'm going to probably argue in a little bit that how this applies to the church and what doesn't apply, but clearly it says, it is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel. It's to the Jews. Because he set them apart. They're his chosen people. He set them apart, right? And if you work, you'll die. If you break this law, you'll die, right? Now, what does it mean to work? That's a whole bigger discussion, and that's where the Pharisees kind of started to muck everything up a little bit and add way too many things. Chapter 35. A few more chapters here. Right. Now You've got to remember, this is, this is part of the, the Torah, the first five books. They're, they're teaching out of it. The, the rabbis, the Pharisees are teaching out of it, and so they're immersed in this thing called the Sabbath. The Sabbath was very important. People could die, right? 35, one through three. Moses assembled all the congregation. Okay, Moses got the word from God, and now he's bringing Israel together and the congregation, and he says, Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day, you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Okay, God is doing this. I just want to be very clear who's establishing this. What do we say? Who's the one that established the, is the God, right? In creation and ultimately now is revealing to them in as they become a people now, and he's training them, he's setting them apart, he's disciplining, he's sanctifying them with this work of the Sabbath, this idea of the Sabbath. So what's kind of the point of, of what we've just kind of covered? Not obeying the Sabbath lead, led to death. That, that's the weight that I, want, that I want you to feel. Not obeying the Sabbath led to death. So, now, Remember, we're in Mark chapter 2. And the Pharisees are not happy about what these people are doing because they're eating. They think they're breaking the law. And they feel the weight of that because they know what the Torah says. They know that if, if these guys do this, they should be put to death, right? And they're like, well, did that really ever happen? Like, did that really? Did he really? Maybe they just made the rule to kind of, you know, all right, let's, let's take a look at that. Numbers. you going to have to flip a couple, couple books over, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, right? So a couple things over past Leviticus. Numbers. Give me a Numbers 15, verse 32 through 36. Numbers 15, 32 to 36. So if you have any question about whether they implemented this and did God implement this, let's see. It says, while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, this is verse 32 of 15. While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, so they were still out in the wilderness before they went into Canaan, or before they went into the promised land, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath. That's not a big deal, is it? And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody. I just lose my mic. There we go. It had not been made clear that they should be what should be done to him. Now notice this next line. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death for gathering sticks. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So not only is God saying, he must die. You must do it. How would, how would that be? Aren't you glad we don't live under that anymore? Right? We don't know why he was gathering sticks. I was probably to, maybe for shelter, maybe to burn, maybe to build a fire, to cook. We don't know. And the Lord said to Moses, the man... With, uh, the man shall be put to death, and all the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp and all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses that's heavy this is why a lot of people don't want to read the Old Testament because we have to come conf- we have to confront and come conf- we have to confront who Why God does these things. Why God establishes these things. And look, I'm still trying to understand some of it myself. But one thing it, it does, man, I was so, this week, I was so like convicted. I mean, like, God is saying, I told you not to do this. And you did it. There's judgment. I have every right to do this. What, do we, what have we been saying for months in the garden? The day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. And he had every right to do that. He has every right to judge our sin. Which makes Jesus that much more precious. Because he comes and takes that penalty for us. Here in the Old Testament, that hadn't been realized yet, right? Now Christ is, yes, in the Godhead already from the foundations of eternity, right? Eating in and out. I know it's probably me. Maybe it's, my, maybe it's my battery. Nope, it's not my battery. All right, just keep going. Heavy. Now, I just want to show you a couple other places real quick. Isaiah 56. You don't need to turn there. Isaiah 56, chapter 2. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who holds it fast who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, not, not mocking it, not, but honoring it, right? And keeps his hand from doing any evil. So even in Isaiah, he's acknowledging the Sabbath. Once again, I'm just showing you it's everywhere. You don't need to turn here. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 21 through 22. Thus says the Lord, right? The Lord is speaking here. Take care, uh, excuse me, take care for the sake of your lives and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day. That means don't work. Or bring it in By the gates of Jerusalem. So don't bring the work in. Don't don't harvest something. Don't bring it in. Don't bring your work in. Do not carry a burden out of your houses or on your Sabbath or do any work. But keep the Sabbath day holy as I've commanded your fathers. I'm just trying to lay out and build the foundation of how important it is for the Sabbath. And so when Jesus here in Mark says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, that is a huge statement. Because God has been establishing the Sabbath and saying, you will die if you don't do this. You will do this. And Jesus now says, I'm Lord of that. Not only can I cast out demons, not only can I heal leprosy, not only can I forgive sins, but I even get to decide, I tell you, that I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Like, that's, that's my thing that I put out there, right? And I have authority over that. All right. Let's go to Mark chapter 2. We're back into our text. Mark chapter 2, verse 23 and 24. I'm right back to where we were at the beginning. It says, One Sabbath he was going through, the, you know, we understand the way of the Sabbath. He was going through the grain fields, and as he made their way, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. They were harvesting. That's not you, Paul. It's probably me. They were harvesting. And so it was reaping, so the Pharisees were saying, you're working, you're doing a work, right? And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are, you, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath, right? And I will tell you that this, this piece of text, this historical context is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, now, was it, was it lawful to do this, right? And so there's some debate If you go to Deuteronomy, you don't need to turn there. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25. Once again, Old Testament, part part of the Torah. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain into the field, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. There's another right before that says you can pick grapes, but you can't you can't eat more than what you can eat. In other words, you can't take any with you. Now, this doesn't say that the Sabbath is part of that. So we don't know, but clearly it was, it was okay to do this. It was okay to eat. Now, maybe some could argue, so well, but not on the Sabbath, right? But not on the Sabbath. But what you're going to find is, is that the Pharisees really made all of these dis- deep distinctions. And that's why Jesus is going to talk about this a little bit, Right? And so what do we see here? Which really, there's nowhere in, the, in Scripture that says what Jesus' disciples are doing here is wrong. They're not breaking the law. There's no evidence. This was pharisaical things that they put in the law that said, oh, they can't do that. But remember, Jesus is going to say at the end of our, our text here is that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's, it's, it was made for you so... It's it's not saying you can't eat. It's not saying you can't pick some food. It's saying you can't work. You need to rest. You're walking through a grain field. If you're hungry, you can do that. I don't think there's anywhere in Scripture that is going to say what they're doing. And so what's the point? Is that Jesus never broke God's law. So some people think, well, did Jesus defy the the teachings of the Father? No, he never broke the law. Maybe he didn't honor the the pharisaical law but he never broke his father's law here he never broke that moral law of what he should do and nor did his disciples break it let's jump to Matthew Mark chapter 2 verse 25 through 27 he goes on there and he says he said to them now that Jesus talking to them to the pharisees have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry now he's going back to King David he and those who were with him, how he entered the, the house of God, which has been the tabernacle, it would have been the detentive meeting, right? In that time of Abithathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of, of presence, which was called showbread. It was, it was in the, uh, where the Inside the holy, holy room, not the holy of holies, but inside the first room, the candle opera was there. There was a table there. The table represented fellowship with God. And, and the priest would bake 12 cakes of bread every, every week. And they would stack them there. And each one from each represented each one of the tribes. And what this, what this, what this demonstrated was is that, that there was fellowship with God. Food was all about fellowship, Right? And the table represented fellowship and that, that man can have fellowship with God. It was a reminder of their fellowship with God. And every week then the, the priest, after the week old bread, the priest would get it and they would eat it. It was part of their provision for them that Israel would give and, and give flour and different things and, and meat. And that's how the, the priests were fed. The Levites were fed. And they would make new bread. And so what happens here in the text is David, this is when Saul is kind of persecuting him, and he comes, and they're hungry, and he comes to the the tabernacle, and he comes to, it's really Abimelech, which is Abithithar's father, and says, hey, we're hungry. I'd like the bread. (laughs) And he gives it to him. Now what's it say there? It says, Abithithar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So he's saying, it was not lawful to do what David did. Now this is where it gets, we gotta kind of think through this a little bit. David represents the future Christ. That's one view. And so that David has the, kind of the, the right to do this. It's a picture that Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath, right? Some would argue that David's not breaking it. He's not breaking the law. He may be breaking the law that the priests have put together, the Pharisees have put together, but he's not breaking God's law because why? Because the Sabbath was made for man. If you're hungry, God is not saying, no, you have to starve. I'm sorry. That was something the Pharisees instituted out of a self-righteousness, out of a building, wanting desire to control people. If you want to read that story, that, that historical context of what David was doing, that's 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6. I'm not going to read that for time this morning. So, what's kind of the point here? Human need is more important than religious ritual. Clearly, the Sabbath was made for us, for us to rest, not for all these religious rituals to control everything we did, how many stitches we can put, how many knots we can tie, how you carry something. You couldn't use your hand, your right hand to carry a bucket. You couldn't use this. You couldn't use that. So how do you draw water? You couldn't. You could carry things with your foot, it says, right? You could carry things with your elbow, but you couldn't carry things with your hands. Or you had to turn your hand upside down and carry it this way. You couldn't use your hands this way. Now, It's ridiculous, right? But this is the culture in which they live. And I will tell you that some churches end up in similar ways in this way, don't they? Or religious cults. This is where this goes, right? Man takes control and makes all these stipulations to control people, right? And what Jesus is shattering here, he says, no, no, no. God made the Sabbath for you. And he blessed it. And it's good for you. It's not meant to be a hindrance to you. And that's what he's trying to remind the Pharisees. And he's kind of he's giving them a little bit of jab, isn't he? Because he says, what's he say there? Have you never read? This is the Torah he's saying here. Have you never read that? You never read that? I've read that. You, you're, you're, you're teaching the law. You should have read that. Right? Mark chapter 3. I'm just going to remind you, this has been an issue, and it's going to continue to be an issue with the Pharisees. And I just want to remind you of this one. He says, he's speaking in a very similar way in Mark chapter 3, verse 4. It says, and he said to them, it is, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. He's just throwing it right back at him. He says, the, the rules and regulations, the rituals that you put forth are just ridiculous. What about this? And they have nothing to say, right? All right, I'm going to skip Matthew 12, 5 through 8. I'm going to go to Mark, last verse. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This idea of Lord is very weighty here. He is Lord of the Sabbath. It's um, kurios in the Greek. It means supremacy. He's supreme in authority. He, by implication, he is the master or controller of the Sabbath. And I just, I want you to, under, that's the whole point of my, the message today in large part is to show you that, that if you have any wonder about God's authority and his ability and his power, over the last couple months, the gospel of Mark has defined it in every way imaginable. He has authority over spiritual things. He has authority over illness. He has authority over even the hardness of heart. He can draw people like Matthew. He has authority over the worst of diseases like leprosy. And he has authority over sin. He can forgive it. And he has authority over the Sabbath, the thing that God has put forth that the Israel had totally got distracted and and distorted. So what... Goes out to the major point. Jesus' authority over the Sabbath reveals his divinity. That's really what this is about. Here's what the text is really about Jesus' authority over the Sabbath reveals that he's God. That's what he's telling them. I have authority. I've shown you, I've healed people, I've cast out demons. I have authority over the Sabbath this thing that is huge in your life that you've lived by for many, many, many years that you've distorted, I have authority over that. And I'm telling you that because I have authority over it, I'm reminding you that the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for the Sabbath. And so as I close, how does that affect us as as a Christian? This will be another message someday, and so you may, I may drop the bomb here, and then and you may wonder why I don't answer all the questions you have. But the question is, do we observe the Sabbath as Christians? Well, did all of you not do any work yesterday on Sunday, or Saturday? Because if you did, we're stoning you, right? Now, there was some civil law there, right? There's moral law, and there's civil law, and the penalties of things, we don't stone people for... You know, adultery today, those were civil laws. Is adultery still a moral law? Yes. Is it still foundational? Yes. We just don't enact the punishment the same way anymore because of grace. Because where we're at as a culture. But it's still a sin. It's still a moral law. But what about, what about the Sabbath? Here's, here's my take. And I don't have time to go into all of this. Hebrews chapter four, verse nine through 11. So then he's here he's been talking to the, the, the Hebrews, because this is Hebrews is about to the Hebrews, about their ancestors and about their the failure of their fathers to obey God in the wilderness, and, and they didn't enter into the promised land. They all died, right, except for 20 years and under. In Hebrews four, nine through 11, it says, "So then, there remains a Sabbath rest, there it is, for the people of God Now He's speaking about the people of God here. I believe he's speaking about Christians, anyone that's in Christ. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that, none, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. He's saying, look, your ancestors fell because they did not believe. They did not trust God in the wilderness. They did not, they did not trust him. And it says, Well, we're not going to enter the promised land in the sense of of Canaan, right? We're not going there. That's not what this is about. So what are we entering into? As believers, we enter into Christ. He is the ark, right? He is the ark of Noah's ark. He is the thing that we enter into. He's the thing that protects us. He's the thing that gives us rest. What are we getting rest from? The work of works for salvation, God says, I rested from work, and now in Christ you will rest from work. You are not going to use works to earn your salvation. You're going to rest in me. I am going to be your Sabbath rest. Jesus is our Sabbath rest, not the the Sabbath. Now, I don't don't have time to go into all this. Do I think that it's important to have a day that we set aside to physically rest and to honor God and to have fellowship? Yes, yes, Absolutely. Does it have to be on Saturday? Does it have to be on Sunday? No, I don't think so. Even the priests themselves, I could show you text, they worked on the Sabbath. They worked in the temple. They did things. They were breaking their own law and their scripture that talks about that. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Paul says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to the festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are shadows of the things to come. That was Christ. But the substance belongs to Christ. Romans 14, verse 5. One person esteems one day better than another while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced of his own in his own mind. Acts chapter 15, verse 19 through 20. I won't read that, but here's the, the gist of that. That they, Paul was out on missionary journeys. He's coming back. Gentiles are trying to come to Christ. And he's saying, well, should we make them do all these things? And, and they're eating sacrificial animals, and, and they should do this. And so they kind of gather as the, the, the early church there, and they decide, okay, what are we going to tell the Gentiles that they must absolutely do? I'll read it. It says, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, so these are believers now, but should write them... And tell them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. He doesn't say they must observe the Sabbath. He'd say, well, there's a lot of things he didn't say there. He named the really big ones, and I'm telling you, the Sabbath was a really, really big one. He did not tell them there that they must observe the Sabbath as Gentiles. Is it good and right to have a day of rest? Absolutely. But our rest is in Christ. Right? Our rest is in Christ. So that's your takeaway this morning. Our Sabbath rest is only found in Christ. Our Sabbath rest is only found in Christ. It is good today that you go home and you, you rest and you spend time with your family. Some of you are going to have to work. There's people right now that are keeping the lights on. There's hospitals and, and all sorts of people working and paramedics and, and police officers, and they're all working. That's not, a, that's, that's not breaking the Sabbath. God is never, it was meant for us. Rest is important, but ultimately, our rest is in Christ. That's where we find our Sabbath rest. We could look at many more scriptures that talk about that. If you have any questions today, I encourage you to dig in the text, search the text. um, And if you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer any of those questions I can. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we leave. Father, I want to thank you for our time together today. Lord, I thank you that you are our Sabbath rest, that you have provided a rest in Christ, a rest from from the work of salvation. It is not a work. It is by faith through grace, Father, that no one can boast. It is a gift to us. We were once dead and you made us alive. We did nothing to earn that. We did nothing to achieve that. That was you. We have the beautiful privilege of honoring you and living a a Christ-filled, obedient life. And yes, we should do that because the law is important. It is good, but it does not save us. So much so that you had to come and completely fulfill the law and to be our perfect sacrificial lamb. You are a great high priest. May we enter into your rest this morning to the grace and the mercy that only you provide in your son. Father, help us not to be legalistic, but help us not have a desire to live a life outside of your desires for us in the law. Father, help us to find that place of grace and honor as we honor you because you alone are worthy. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at infotheridgechurch.net. At have a blessed day.